dog. Hey, buddy. How are you? Long time no see. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Sorry I was late. I was taking a shit. Hey, man, it's important to stay regular. I, yeah. I myself would be a little bit disturbed if I felt the need in the afternoon. I'm more of a morning guy, but when you got to go, you got to go, man. That's what I'm saying. I just didn't want to be on lifts and riffs just thinking about how bad I had to take a shit. So I had to well, like, rectify it. Interestingly enough, one of the things that I was just reading about, I read an article where um, the future of intubation, if you're in the hospital and you need to be intubated because you can't breathe, apparently they figured out some way that they can put a tube up your ass and blow oxygen into your guts and your fucking, your blood will like absorb the oxygen through your butt. Why, why is the answer like always comes back to just like, up your ass or something you know what i mean you want to nope. smuggle drugs go up your ass you want to breathe better just shove the tube right up your ass why not is, i guess it's like an unexplored organ i don't know like i personally i've got my own fear of the butthole like i don't want to fucking i don't want to deal with mine i'm not like i'm not like the fucking the zennials out there or the 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 gen z kids or whatever posting about eating ass and all that kind of shit i'm yeah. sorry man call me old-fashioned call me puritanical uh, you do you. Everybody have fun. Uh, but but like I'm I fear the butt. The the amount of gross death metal you listen to is hilarious that you fear just the rectum. Dude, you should you have no idea. I have a lot of shit that fucking skeeves me out that would probably surprise you given what you know I listen to. That's true. Anyway, speaking of who we're listening to, Homeboy is in the waiting room. So I'll oh, give shit. a quick intro. We need to let this dude in. I'm super excited about today, man. Today we are talking with the front man, uh, the most visible member of one of my favorite bands. They are an industrial metal band from Los Angeles, California called Three Teeth. His name is Alexis Mincala. Oh, shit. Yeah, these these guys fucking kick ass. I'm excited. To yes. Alexis yes. He's connecting. He looks wonderful. He's connecting. There he is. Connecting to audio. As Zoom does. We need a theme. There he is. How about now? We yes, got... we can hear you. Excellent. You uh you look like you're coming to us live from like Hunter S. Thompson's lodge somewhere. I, I I'm digging your sense of decor, it's, it's, man. It's the closest it's my garage, which is probably also filled with um enough guns that Hunter would have been pleased. So yes. We are oh, channeling I... Hunter maybe a little bit. Very American. We're very excellent. I'm I'm Schuler. I'm the dude who's been bothering you on Twitter. Um, and I'm joined today by my buddy Zach, who uh, who runs Death Comes Lifting. It's a fitness apparel line and lifestyle company. And we we're super stoked to have you on the show today, man. Absolutely. What's up, brother? Very cool. Thank you for having me, guys. It's an honor. Well, so what's uh what's going on, man? Let's just start off with like the basic how do you do bullshit. Like you can go as deep yeah. and shallow as you want to. How are you? Things are good. I feel like, you know, I've had this sort of like, you know, void in my life for the past 18 months, which is like going on stage and performing. And now that there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel here, we're heading out on tour in October, which is like I couldn't be more stoked about that. Um, and, you know, it seems like everything seems to just like be coming into this like crescendo or like we're trying to wrap up the record, shoot a music video and go on tour all simultaneously, which is the classic case of just like everyone being like, wait, 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 wait. And then it's hurry the fuck up. So um, just sort of yeah. like, zero to a thousand miles an hour with the way the world is going these days. 
I can see I can see that kind of being a, a a repeat scenario in your industry. Like it seems like the kind of thing where everything needs to get timed just the right way, and then the momentum picks up, and you're part of the machine, and everything's rolling. Yeah, exactly. Like there's really it has like two speeds, just you know, off or on a thousand miles an hour. So we're we're you know there was no there was no gracing period in there. So I feel yeah. like I'd rather you know be going a thousand miles an hour than be off. So I'm all good. Yeah, I was gonna say go is definitely better than stop. Um, Absolutely. It's, it, being that you bring up COVID, man, like I, so I've been a fan of the band uh, for a long time. Like I, I've even got, I go all the way back to the beginning with the motherfucking autographed copies of the fucking self title. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I, for real. I, I really, I really enjoy your band. I love the sound of the band, but the 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 intellectual component, the lyrical component, the poetic component, the philosophical component is incredibly interesting and immersive for me. Um, and one of the things that I kind of wanted to chat with you about is just like this. This podcast was born of COVID boredom. And everybody who we have on here, invariably, we end up talking about sort of how their life has changed or anything, you know, observations about COVID or whatever. And you as a lyricist and you as a performer, there's something about your band that is very much like cartoonishly dystopian. It reflects this version of America that uh, and the world, right, that's like steeped in consumerism, um, really sort of like lampooning how how vapid certain aspects of American culture can be. And so I'm curious to hear your take on uh, how we've handled the pandemic, what life's been like. Just talk to us, man. Yeah. So, I mean, we had dropped a record in 2019 uh, called Metal War, and we were sort of rigorously touring. Um, and we had literally toured right up until the world shut down, where we had done 30 dates. Uh, at the beginning of 2020, like January into, you know, end of February. And we just had no idea that it was happening. Um, the way I would describe it is like, it was like we were skiing down a mountain and there was like an avalanche behind us that we had no idea was there because we were just in front of it enough that by the time, you know, we stopped and got to the lodge and like saw the fucking decimation behind us, we were like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Um, so we were just like completely unaware of it and just going out there and touring. And when you're touring, it's such a grind, like you barely have time to like see what's going on in the world. But we realized, you know, something was weird when our, our uh, Milan day was canceled. And so we were like, oh shit, this seems to actually be, you know, a thing, but we thought it was pretty much contained to Italy. And um, we ended up taking a day off in Frankfurt, Germany, where Bethesda has an office. Bethesda Gamers does like Doom and um, you know, games like uh, Fallout and shit like that. So I had a friend that worked there and they're like, hey, why don't you come play the new Dune game or Doom game? And I was like, damn, this fucking music for this is so dope. I was like, would it be so cool if we just like tried something with Mick Gordon? So on our day off, but we wouldn't have had unless it was canceled in Milan, I'm sitting there talking about working with Mick Gordon from Doom. And then the girl who I know is like, yo, here's his email, hit him up. Pretend I never gave it to you. So, you know, fast forward, you know, 16 months later, and here we've been like working with Mick Gordon from Doom for, you know, almost a year now. So weird shit has happened because of COVID that like maybe wouldn't have otherwise happened. Like your guys, uh, you know, podcast or it gave everyone a moment of just like pause to sort of take that sort of passion project or sort of, you know, try something new and 
in many ways, we had just done a record. So like we weren't sort of hard pressed to get back into writing, but if we were going to write, we wanted to write something very different from the stuff we've been doing, get more experimental and have all that time. So, you know, uh, there's so much to talk about what we've done. But for me, I guess the, the sort of broad synopsis would be like having time is something we never have uh, in this business, especially with the sort of momentum that this band's had. That is, it was really nice to have time. It was really nice to sort of, you know, take that pause and sort of like have a reflective audit of like everything that we've done, everything that was going on, uh, sort of watching Meta War as an album almost like come to pass during the time in this sort of hyperstitious sort of manifestation, unfortunately. Things are sort of like, you know, uh, you know, you're talking about cartoonishly apocalyptic. It's like here we are living in a sort of cartoonishly apocalyptic, you know, dystopian B movie. Do you know what I mean? And like oh, that's a reality. You know, so you know, I take no pleasure in in feeling like we were right about anything because it's not like that was the goal. Yeah. Um, and in fact, maybe we were like, maybe we should stop writing about this stuff because there's some people that say like, you know, you only have access to a future that has been imagined already. And I feel like there's so much dystopian art out there that like, that's the only vision of the future that we have. So needless to say, that's the vision of the future that's going to come to pass. Uh, you know, maybe if we had more utopian entertainment, that people would be, you know, have a vision that we could collectively share and end up there. But I don't think we, I don't think it sells very well, um, unfortunately. And I don't think we have any good sort of utopian uh, literature for quite some time. And last sort of utopian novel, which is one that I decided to read recently over COVID, was um, Aldous Huxley's Island, which is sort of the utopian oh. counterpart to Brave New World, yeah. which is a phenomenal book if you haven't read it. Uh, but it was something that, again, having time to read, which I hadn't had quite some, you know, in, in ages, uh, I just felt like it was nice to sort of have COVID. So I didn't hate COVID, like by any means in terms of the pandemic. Obviously, a virus is, that's killing, you know, uh, half a million people is fucked up and awful. But in terms of the, the, the way that it sort of brought reality to its knees and sort of shifted, I guess, our, our, our paradigm of reality, I thought was, was interesting. It forced a lot of introspection in, in, in a lot of people that I think was probably horrifying for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But I think for some people, it was a good thing. Um, and for us, I think it was, it was nice. And I'm not one of the type of people that's going to sit around on my hands going, oh, I wonder where this is going to go. I'm going to fill my time. Um, and I, I, I made the most of it. We moved out to the desert, um, you know, where the anxiety in Los Angeles became sort of palpable during the middle of the pandemic. We just said, hey, let's pack up all our shit um, and, and move out to a house in the desert and sort of, you know, get out of metropolitan areas, get a little bit more in touch with our sort of primal force and living in sort of uh, a more, you know, just complete isolation out in the middle of the desert. And, it was a beautiful experience, you know, and it changed us a lot of ways. And obviously there were some psychedelics involved, but it was a, it was a, it was a great time. So like, honestly, I look back at last summer as like one of my favorite summers ever and we weren't touring. Um, and yeah. I just had an absolute blast just like living out there and, you know, barbecuing every night hanging out with my band and bonding in sort of ways that we hadn't had a chance to. So it was, it was special. It was really cool. It's a it's a weird kind of paradoxical situation to find yourself in when you when you like you said you look back on like this fucking society just in wreckage right um, all of these fucking years that the, the were supposed to be fail safes um, have just completely collapsed you've got so many people who have no safety net you've got so many people dead but at the same time it was weird because it did force us to kind of slow down 
And, you know, some, some people take out passion projects, other people just end up staring at the fucking wall because they don't know what else to do with themselves. Um, and so to be able to look back on it and find something positive, I think is probably a, the, the healthier way to look at it while at the same time sort of acknowledging just how fucked up yeah, it was. Sort of like a, a crystalis, if you will, is a more romantic way to look at it. Like, a, you know, a, a, you know, some sort of worm going into its cocoon and coming out a little better, which, you know, uh, obviously is, is, is more illustrious than a quarantine to think about it that way. But I do think, you know, there's a, you know, a harsh reality to doing that work that in general, I think that, you know, it revealed a lot about how fucked up this world is. It revealed how wide the power structures are in society. It revealed the further you are from the power, the center of the power structure, the more likely you are just to die. You know what I mean? And I feel like that was a big awakening towards, you know, the, the, the mortality of, of, what our world is and doesn't really give a fuck about people sadly um and i think that you know when you're not you know working a 60-hour week and you have you know the, the and you're not on that treadmill for a second i think people were sort of like hey you know what this shit's actually really fucked up something needs to change so not, not that it has changed but i think yeah. we've always realized that something should change yeah president x right um one of the uh speaking of, you know we talk about sort of this reflection of of a dystopian future and dystopian art sort of feeding back on another and then you mentioned metamorphosis and a chrysalis and all this um one of the things that i have noticed about three teeth's music um like i said having been a fan over over the course of you guys uh discography is that there is there's definitely a, a change what feels to me like more car driven sort of traditional not necessarily traditional approach but um definitely more of a it feels like an easier pill to swallow than some of the earlier yeah. stuff yeah and, i think it was very much like the sort of like niche you know underground industrial sort of like you know rubber room kind of thing that was like you know uh not necessarily um accessible to a lot of people and it didn't and not that like we desired it to be accessible or not that we're doing anything to be accessible for people but you know when you go from playing you know 200 person sort of like super weird underground you know uh fucking kink parties or fetish parties that you were <laughs> playing as opposed to like then opening up for tool and a twenty thousand person fucking arena you realize you're like, man, we're like, we need to start to fucking write some songs that are going to fill those types of spaces. So to me, it was more about just like record with like thinking about how to create music to fill certain spaces. And because, you know, we were no longer just trying to fill those spaces. Um, we were sort of looking to write bigger, more guitar driven stuff that could fill an arena, stuff that you could play at a big festival, stuff that could get a big crowd going as opposed to just like, you know, making a bunch of people in like leather and latex just like, you know, dance all over the floor, very sexy, which is awesome. And we still love that. Uh, but also, you know, we were just trying to, ex I guess, expand um, our arsenal of things because, you know, we always have, depending on where you're playing, we can play a set list that would go a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, so we just need to sort of build out, I guess, some of the direction of the, the set list that could, again, fill an arena or play a big festival and stuff. I mean, well, and so like with Shutdown and then with Metawar, it, it, I'm, I'm 38. And so a lot of the sound, like it's very modern. It's very much part of now. But at the same time, there are a lot of years of like being in high school and like hearing the more guitar driven frontline assembly shit for the first time and sort of watching this evolution and, and finding different places for me to fit in with it along the way. 
Um, what are some of your influences, man? Like, where did you sort of, where did you pick this up? I feel like my influences are so apparent. Yeah, but I want you to talk about them anyway. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of ministry, um, you know, from my assembly, as you mentioned, obviously, the Skinny Puppy influences. And also the influences in the band are the culmination of the band's influences, obviously, it's such as my influences. Like, Xavier's a huge Skinny Puppy fan. Um, you know, uh, Chase comes from a more just, like, um, straight at you sort of metal. Like, you know, he's a huge Pantera fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you have a sort of strange myriad of influences where, you know, Andrew's like a big sort of avant-garde sort of classical musical guy too. So it's like, we have all these weird influences, but for me, yeah. I mean, I was I was big fans of guitar-driven industrial from the 90s. Um, you know, Nail Bomb is a strangely, you know, weird oh, yes. influence of mine. I love Nail Bomb. I love that shit um, so much. Yeah, those things sort of like um, you know, and there's the more bigger, more mainstream. Obviously, you can the more niche sort of cool underground industrial stuff as well. But um, you know, even there's like bands like Killing Joke, who's a, a you know a big influence to what we do. And um, I think they're one of those bands that actually influence every band um, somehow. Uh, but you know, yeah, the, the influences are always constantly growing as well. There's some modern influences from more electronic music and stuff like that. So for us, we're just always just trying to take in as much as we can. And I think that, you know, I think one of the, the more innovative spaces that exist in music today are sort of through technology and having different, um, you know, different things to make different sounds that might not have existed because whereas uh, every riff has ever been played on a guitar whether it be in a different key or faster so whatever it's like you know different tone it's like uh there's a lot of room to be played with in sort of modular synthesis and finding different signature sounds in there so we're always trying to push ourselves uh in sort of the technological aspect of finding new cool ways to try stuff and create new sound and stuff like that so i think that that's something that um I guess separates it from just being a sort of pure '90s industrial project. It oh, for sure. Like, you know that 2021 sort of HD sort of technological context to it that allows it to sort of, uh, you know, be something old but something new. Yeah, and and uh, well, I think that you can see that you know when you say that everybody in the band sort of has these different influences, you can definitely see that reflected in in some of the collaborations that you guys have done. I remember looking in the liner notes for the first record and seeing that like Michael Keane from the faceless played guitar on one of those songs. No one has ever brought that up, by the way, you're the first person who picked that up. Um, and, and, you know, Michael was a friend of mine at the time. We sort of fell out of touch since then, but um, you know, Michael was actually a, a big industrial fan. And, yeah. um, you know, we used to hang out some time and I remember like, it was before we actually had a guitar player in the band permanently. And we had this, we had that track Nile and I was like, man, we should really get some cool guitars on here, maybe outsource something for it. And I just hit up Keen the Machine and he kind of laid down a blueprint riff for like what ended up sort of becoming uh, what we used to audition other guitarists, which obviously he's a very good guitarist. Sure. Um, and, you know, kind of set a standard for us. But yeah, that was funny. Michael Keane was the first person to play a guitar riff on a free Which is tight. And it's when you, and then when you look at a dude who, you know, obviously he's got a ton of different influences. He's in a nine inch nail shirt in every promo shot that they do. 
definitely in a, in a death metal band. There's a lot of progressive elements to it. But then going all the way up to uh, you guys' collaborations with horror, right? You guys worked with them a couple of years ago. And then you just dropped a new single with them, if I'm not mistaken, called Paralyzed. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had invited them out to the desert with us. And, you know, we went out and, you know, did some barbecue and shot some guns, wrote some music. And it was sort of our, like, our little uh, desert oasis escape from everything. So we were inviting friends out and different sort of collaborative people and, you know, kind of sitting on a ton of music. So we were sitting on that track for almost like a year now. Um, and we sort of wanted to release that as sort of like a, a pre-hype sort of like, hey, we're back type of single. Yeah. Um, so yeah, horror, those guys, we, we put music out with them in 2018. We toured together, shared a bus. Um, and whenever you share a bus with someone, you sort of like become a family with them. So we're super tight with those guys. Collaborating with them is extremely easy and sort of intuitive. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of sort of like spoken communication of just like making it happen, which is always makes things a lot easier, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, it seems the this this both of you guys' style uh, fits with each other incredibly organically, and so which is funny because I feel like both of our style doesn't fit in anywhere else. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're two bands that are in many ways sort of like weird black sheep in terms of like, you know, for us, I always say like we're like too metal for the industrial kids, and we're too industrial for the metal kids, and then we sort of exist in this sort of like weird uh, netherverse and. You know, I think Horace kind of has that same sort of thing, and we're totally okay with that because I, I really yeah. don't give too much of a shit about trying to fit into those scenes and stuff like that. So we're well, just you, do us. You've got you've got a tour coming up that's also kind of a one foot in, one foot out thing. You guys are going to be touring with Cradle of Filth coming up soon, and you've got them yeah. with like one foot kind of still in the black metal world. A lot of people would say otherwise. I fucking love Cradle of Filth, by the way, but yeah. then you've got like this maiden vibe going on with them too. I think that you guys are going to be perfect on Bill. How did that come about? Uh, you know, it's always just agents, you know, putting stuff together with agents. And, you know, for me, like, uh, I'm not a huge cradle fan, uh, but I think that <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, I mean, I just kind of like, I, I respect anyone that has like, you know, an awesome show and, you know, even has the nerve to just get on stage. So like, I'm one of those people, like I can, I can get into like every band, um, once I sort of like take the time to like check it out, but I hadn't really done that with cradle until recently. And that was just sort of brought to my attention from, um, I guess our booking agent, maybe you know, booking agents at the same place. Honestly, I don't even know that it was presented to me. And I was like, I didn't really want to go out and do a headline run right now just because I feel like things are going to sort of be weird and kind of confusing in terms of like first shows back. So I was like, dude, let's just like dust off our shoulders a little bit and go do a support run with Pedro, who I don't think has been in the market for quite some time. Um, like, I just can't remember seeing them touring in the US at all. So I thought, you know, those shows end up kind of like working out pretty well for us. And I kind of trust my booking agent because I remember he had us go out and do some. And like, I don't really know either. Um, but you don't really have to like like a band to tour with the band and for it to be a good yeah. bill. You know what I mean? Like, in fact, I think the sort of like creating different things on a bill um, provides really unique contrast within a show. And I feel like there would be some really cool contrast. And I think what, what the acts of that lineup are going to do. So, yeah, I think it'll be cool, you know? And I think that, I think that like bands that generally have like a bigger show like that, uh, fans who are sort of into that more larger than life sort of like thing, generally also will probably get into our thing. Cause um, not that we have a tremendous amount of theatrics, but I think that we do put on like a big show. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, I mean, 
that was actually what I was going to say next is like Cradle of Filth puts on a very theatrical show. And even if you don't want to consider a three piece show theatrical, there's definitely a, a very important visual component yeah, to it. Elements to it. You know, I'm walking out with a trident. I'm doing some ritual magic here and there. I'm doing some things that it's sort of like uh, on the, 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 there's some, there's some, um, so, you know, you know, it's not like, I guess like, not that I love bands that go out there and play like, you know, metal riffs and camo shorts and stuff like that. But like, that just doesn't make sense in terms of like an audience share, I yeah. guess. Um, so I feel like me and Rod think I'm wearing camo shorts. <laughs> right yeah. Um, so yeah, no, to me, it's like, we're just, we're, we're trying to make something that feels, I guess, bigger than just like some dudes with guitars and guys, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it does. There's there's a lot going on up there. And then there's also, like I said, just a really sort of striking visual component to it. And a lot of that, like you said, you're carrying around a trident, but also every everything about your public persona, right? Your glasses, your mustache, your hair, all of this stuff is incredibly distinctive. And I think part of that rests on the fact that this is lifts and riffs. We got to talk about your routine, man. You're a good looking guy. You clearly take good care of yourself and you are in a uh, in a profession that is not always necessarily kind to that kind of regimen. So I'm curious about what you do at home and what you do on the road to stay in shape. How do you fill that fucking suit out? Um, you know, it's funny because obviously this was a lot tougher during the pandemic and gyms being closed and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of uh, what I'll call dietary nihilism yeah. occurring um, during the pandemic where people were just like, fuck it, dude, I'll eat whatever I want. It's not like I'll never leave my house ever again. Um, so it was tough to, to combat that. Um, I think luckily the, the pandemic is long enough that you could have gotten out of shape and then back in shape if you really wanted to. So I think initially um, there was uh, this sort of like, hey, we're on the fucking forever weekend. And I think that, I, you know, I was drinking too much in the beginning because it was like sort of like, what what else is there to do and having a tour canceled two days before was pretty depressing and kept getting like uh reminders on my phone like uh it was like sound check today at four o'clock in vegas and i'd be like in my fucking sweatpants like watching netflix so i was like fuck this you know what I mean? like, so first things first it was like overcoming the depression was tough um of being like we're never going to tour again but then ultimately uh kind of pulling myself up by the boots and just sort of like getting back into some good diet um, and i think that i generally like on tour um i just try and not to eat weight i know it seems so simple um it is simple it's just hard uh which sometimes you have to kind of distinction through like simple doesn't mean it's easy uh you know eating just less calories to me is is something that's always worked in my favor um is uh, I generally sort of like uh, in sort of like a, a like an endomesomorph or something in between there where I'm like kind of a thicker person. So for me, if I just kind of keep my calories low, it keeps me lean. Um, I retain my muscle mass. Um, I just try and do a lot of, like I'm a big pull-up guy. I like to do a lot of weighted pull-ups. Um, you can see right here in my driveway, squat rack. Hell yeah. And so that comes in handy. Um, to just sort of have that set up like there. Um, put on like a weighted plate carry breast with like eight and a half pound plates in front and back and like pull up and, and try and drive with that. And just like, honestly, like I, I don't not like, a, I don't work out really heavy anymore. Um, I used to as a, as a, like I was a state champion wrestler in high school and played on a football team and all that stuff. Oh, which, yeah. yeah, so like being like more athletic when I was younger allowed me to sort of like preserve what I do today with like a little less intensity. Um, and I just try and like 
you know, the way we perform is like a ton of cardio every night too, because we're we're always fucking running around and you know just being uh doing the most on stage. So for me, um, and oftentimes the leather, so it's a fucking sweat fest. So like, I mean, I try and um, eat early because I don't like eating too close before the show. Uh, I don't eat after the show which um is oftentimes what everyone loves to do because you start drinking and you know then you're like in some town you're like yo we should go eat that fucking crazy thing that everyone always talks about in chicago you know what i mean like you're yeah. every city has a, a crazy fucking food that at nighttime you eat when you're drunk that sort of herald is like dude we gotta go get it so i try and avoid that um so again it's 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 almost like less about what i am doing and more about what i'm not doing to preserve my shape um, it's sort of just like, you know, like I said, some basic push-ups and pull-ups from on stage uh, or on tour and then just not eating shit. With, um, this is this is Zach's area of expertise. Zach's a, a, a trainer. Very cool. Zach is, uh, unfortunately, gets bulldozed by me most of the time because I'm a really fucking enthusiastic dude. It's really good. You got to have that sort of, you got to have that sort of, uh, you got to play with each other like that. You got to have two guys that bulldoze each other. Yeah, I just I just get stoned and like hang out and interject some some shit every now and then. <laughs> I've I've been one this one to say though. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Mick Gordon because just today I was working out to the Doom Eternal soundtrack and I think some of that shit's like the best workout music ever. I do too. It's funny. I work out to the there's like gym mixes of it on YouTube. So um, you know, there, it keeps the heart rate up because it's got this sort of like pounding tempo and it's got this sort of jump off energy. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I work up this stuff too. And what did you do with him specifically, or what? Ha- what are you doing with him? Uh, he's co-producing the record. Oh no, shit! Really? I know he was on this single. I didn't know he was doing the whole record. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, we, we've been we've been like working together since for like a year now. And again, like we just haven't been rushing this record. We've just been like being super experimental, and uh, you know, we're just going to sort of keep releasing singles while working the record, and we're. Instead of just being like, here's a definitive date for the record, we're just gonna keep writing, just keep releasing singles, and just see how that goes. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's more of a modern formula. Um, obviously, yeah. albums are important. Um, but part of me does feel like, uh, as you after you release an album, it's like, it's like before the album is like foreplay, and then after you release the album, it's like everyone orgasms and then goes home and doesn't care about it. So it's like I'm just trying to like prolong that as much as possible. Um, you know, we're just going to be edging our fans until they sort of get fed up with us. Oh yeah. Man. Well, so what was the uh, what was the collaborative process with him like, and what does it continue to be like? Like, did you go into go into this partnership with any sort of expectations or any sort of designs on what you wanted the next record to be like, or did you guys just roll the dice? Oh, yeah, say, oh, I, I built I built an entire like uh, nine foot document that's about twelve pages. Uh, sort of each mock being a song, and then it goes through that it's like designed this visual ascension and concept map. So, like, we laid out all that stuff before we even started working on the record. Um, needless to say, like I said, having all this time really helped being out in the desert and you know, taking LSD and like my background visual arts and graphic design. So, like, I'm a big concept guy. So, like, we put all this sort of concept together. Um, before we started like you know i reached out to him like you know half a bottle of whiskey deep and i was just like you know what we were like listening to his music and he was like i'm just gonna fucking email the dude like what's the worst that's gonna happen he's gonna ignore it or say no 
um, you know, three hours later, because he's in Australia, um, he was just like, holy shit, Max, huge fan. So cool to see your you know, name in my inbox. I would love to work with you in some capacity. Let's figure it out. And then, you know, lo and behold, we just kind of figured we could, uh, you know, do a record together or at least try. You know, he's coming at it for more like a, like he's a sound design monster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the guy, obviously has huge riffs as well and he can compose and he's brilliant, but really, you know, we wanted him to kind of come in and do some really interesting sound design. And, you know, we oftentimes will like write a song that kind of starts with just like vocals, drums and guitar, you know, sort of just riffing it. Um, but that's not the type of music we make. So then we sort of throw it into the industrial grinder and we have what we call the tweaker department of people like Xavier and Mick Gordon, where it's like, you know, maybe me, Chase, and we sort of come up with a song and write it sort of left to right, you know, get the choruses and verses in there and get a rough sort of arrangement and then like get into the tweaker department to just like fucking destroy it and then see what we have and then kind of just like kind of rebuilding it. And our music is very Frankenstein process in a way um, because I think that it's sort of like the process of like denaturing it because it's like you have sort of like uh, almost genetic engineer it and like transmute it into enough things to sort of uh, just turn it into this cold industrial thing which is sort of what we do which is sort of a reflection going back to what we're talking about well, industrial music for me has always been a way to sort of like a reflection of like you know sucking the poison out of mass production society and spitting it back in its own face so it's sort of like the anti-venom of that which is made from the venom of that so we sort of have to reflect a little bit of that process I like that. I, I, I think that's a, a, an inter interesting and effective way to put it, because there is sort of like the music in and of itself is sort of like this commentary on assembly is sort of a commentary on production. Um, and it's not just the style, but I also think that it's very much a part of the, the lyrical landscape of the music that you write. So are you, I am right when I say that you write all the lyrics. Am I correct? That's correct, yeah. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the like you mentioned? Um, you mentioned some reading earlier, but like, what else are you drawing inspiration from? Um, I sort of, I'm one of those people that like absorb my entire environment, like a sponge and like constantly taking notes and like actually just a huge fucking nerd. Um, so I'm like just ingesting a ton of information from like, you know, you name it from like, uh, I'm a sort of like well-studied occultist. Um, I, 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 you know, study sort of esoteric principle as well as I have two degrees in political science. So I'm drawing a lot from uh, my knowledge of that, but then combining with more of like a, you know, a sort of like metaphysical and humanist perspective. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our music is not, I mean, it's political in the sense that it's like critiquing politics and social commentary, but really it's always sort of about, uh, you know, I'm not like telling you how to think in terms right. of like, oh, support this and support that. I'm just generally kind of like making you like, you know, I'm like, don't believe anything you think, you know, uh, sort of approaching it from the sort of like um, uh, cynicism of the central nervous system, even if you will. Do you know what I mean? The idea that like we are intrinsically corrupted by the fact that this is like all we receive is this, yeah. um, you know, and I feel like I'm always kind of just, you know, trying to, I guess, not be too cynical, but create uh, this sort of humorous perspectives, I guess, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm actually pretty cynical about it in my music, but I feel like that's my way of, um, I guess, uh, that's my therapy. I got to get that out of me. 
Which is like, I I think that that is a pretty healthy way to approach some of the topics that are that are treated in this music to call it like therapy. But also, like you said, it is there is sort of a, a critical element to it. Right. Where a lot of a lot of what we're looking at sort of like in reflecting industrial music is sort of disrupted and then thrown back is like this cartoonified sort of dystopian version of, of what what absorbed it. And I think that that probably becomes more difficult as time goes on, because it seems that like reality has just completely subsumed satire. And we don't really, we don't really have the, that, that, that absurdity at this point, that's so readily apparent that you can satirize something and get away with it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, and I think that's some of the challenge with like, you know, between even meta war and the new record, um, because I didn't want to just do like meta war part two. Um, even though like, you know, that sort of like became like our wheelhouse of like what three teeth does sort of like scathing criticisms of, you know, human hypocrisy, um, and sort of like, you know, trying to be a little tongue in cheek about it. Um, but I think, you know, where this record starts, uh, in this sort of Tellurian urban landscape, and then uh, as the ascension happens, the perspective of like almost us in the desert was sort of our version of being sort of um, in the sort of Martian landscape and sort of stepping away from um, everything, all the bullshit here and sort of looking back at it. I think, uh, again, I, I'm like, I'm like revealing too much about the record, but you guys got me talking. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, we don't, I don't want you to, I don't want you to say anything that's going to like, you know, ruin no, the surprise. Cool. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to dance around it. I'm trying to like do little fancy footwork and give you guys like some little, uh, you know, uh, conceptual amb ambiguities, I guess, to sort of um, talk about where the record starts and where the record finishes. Um, and it, it's almost like you couldn't help but, but do that right now as you have like Jeff Bezos going to space, you know, alien disclosures seemingly being talked about as if they're fucking, you know, uh, just another piece of random news. Um, so I feel like, you know, at this point, um, rather than being so just sort of steer trying to get perspective. We're going to space, goddammit. That's what happens in the record. <laughs> three, three teeth four in space. In space. Um, exactly. Well, if we can't, so I don't want to ruin anything by going forward. So let's go backward and sort of dive into some of the more uh some recurring themes and then some other things that maybe people would like to hear you talk about that I certainly would like to hear you talk about. What is Operation Mindfuck? Operation Mindfuck, um, to put it in the words of, of some of the fathers of it, uh, one of which being sort of Robert Anton Wilson, was a form of sort of guerrilla ontology, um, a sort of movement that uh, is decentralized, um, has no sort of, um, you know, uh, actual structure or ordinance to it, to it just or like if you if you sympathize with it you can join it um and it was initially kind of like sort of problems of entering goals in terms of like the psyop nature of what we're trying to do with it shut down of course was to sort of shut down consensus reality um which honestly i feel like kind of happened which in the end was like maybe, maybe we shouldn't have done that because i do feel like consensus reality is now fucking broken since we dropped that record um, but it wasn't at the time, um, and I'm not saying we had a hand in it, but maybe we did. Um, so, you know, each record sort of has a little bit of a, a sort of psyop nature to it that uh, is sort of, you know, being pushed through. Also, it's sort of like our inner 
fan club as well. Um, it's about just 5,000 people uh, globally that sort of participate in it. Um, sort of like our KISS army, if you will. Nice. Yeah, so um, yeah, Operation Mindfuck is, uh, it's just a good hang. I think, and I, I, at the root of this, at the root of the of the psyop, either as something entertaining or something necessary, is this understanding that reality, as it presents itself, uh, it, it, it's like this tacit acknowledgement of like, I guess, a sort of baseline nihilism, um, and yes, then yes, sort yes. of a, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry, go ahead, continue, continue, and well, not just the not a baseline nihilism, but also sort of this continual return to the absurdity of everything yes. right yes and in many ways that's sort of like all that's left as a result of it is the sort of like you know uh ridiculous out absurdum where it's like we're sort of like forced to just reduce everything to absurdity because at this point like what is left to say are we going to sit here and like preach about how we should live this way and how we should do that way because that's what everyone's doing at this point and i don't think it accomplishes anything so i think that all we sort of have left is the, the sort of absurdity which is why you see you know, this sort of like, you know, uh, new millennial Dadaism on the sort of um, so I think that, uh, you know, there also has to be um, in the fear of everything becoming too sort of apathetic and nihilistic, like what is what is the psyop off the heels of that to actually bring a little meaning to things, which that's the sort of $64 million question. Yeah, uh, well, and it's it's a question that I think we we haven't even really figured out how to ask yet. And so one of the things that's always interesting to me is about art that pushes social issues in a direction that like the social professionals seem to be scared of or seem to just not care about themselves. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you see this sometimes with, um, you know, I think stand-up comedy is like one of the most like uh, sort of like perfect delivery systems is sort of a social commentary that gives it meaning because you can sort of draw the point with the rubber sword where, you know, I think people like sort of like really drive home these amazing points without preaching to you and sort of making fun of things and sort of that sort of collective sort of like almost like cathartic, like, God damn, this really is bullshit, but like I'll laugh at it. So I think that it's about how you're sort of drawing that point. Uh, I think, you know, shit posting for the sake of shit posting um, dilutes it, obviously. I'm not trying to, like, you know, be a carnister of shitpost, but uh, I think that um, ultimately it still comes down to whatever the practitioner's ultimately their intention is. Because I do think there's a way to do it while giving, a, you know, a sense of hope and meaning um, and sort of sort of collective identity to it. But, you know, I think these are things we're starting to learn um, as, a, as a culture. I feel like we had to sort of... Um, had to get broken first, which is sort of like we had to break reality. Um, yeah. And like after we broke reality, everything is sort of like, you know, this sort of absurdism. But then where do we go from there? And I think that's sort of where the next step is, is sort of going to start to reveal itself. Um, uh, you know, hopefully with enough sort of like walking into the same wall, you don't have to like walk around it at some point. But I guess I just to see where the human nature is. That is, that's like a... Uh... That's pleasantly optimistic, man. I try and stay optimistic about it because otherwise, like, what the fuck else do we have? Um, and I even think that when you're kind of approaching some of like the aggressive sort of nihilistic tone within three teeth, I always think there's a little shred of optimism in there. 
um, and, and, and sort of trying to empower the listeners of, of like the feeling uh, that they get when they listen to the music and some of the tonalities is sort of um, sort of uh, dark but bright a little bit more. So, you know, it's a, it's a I feel like it sort of is the perfect vehicle, uh, you know, with stand-up comedy being sort of this really good vehicle for social com or stand-up comedy being this really effective vehicle for social commentary. I feel like music is probably a really good way to slip that optimism into these really sort of cynical or pessimistic or, you know, unfortunately to say realistic observations about the world that we live in because music in and of itself um, is an activity that exists in and of itself, right? We yeah. live in a society in which these things become products and in which if you really want to dedicate yourself to it, you've got to make a profession out of it. But at the end of the day, music doesn't feed you. Music doesn't clothe you. Music doesn't put a roof over your head. There is joy, I think, in that, in a thing that exists for itself. Yeah, you know, and I do think that it does approach maybe a higher portion on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, it's not feeding or clothing, but it's sort of a, maybe at its best self-actualizing you and i think that one of the things that does come I mean, maybe that's a reach but i think that you know we live in a time period where um we live in this sort of like super individual atomized existence now we're like you know people are like barely joining political parties people are doing there's not a lot of collective anymore at all and i think that um you know adam curtis kind of talked about you know collectivism versus individualism like or, you know, not to say one's better or worse. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of heinous, atrocious acts under collectivism, um, but also individualism and sort of atomizing people does sort of make us feel powerless. Um, and I think that he described it as like going into the woods at night with your friends is really fun. Going into the woods at night by yourself can be very scary. And I think that there's like very few uh, collectivist activity at this point in time, especially after 18 months of, you know, uh, fucking, you know, quarantine and, and social distancing that, you know, music is a, is an important part of creating uh, a less atomized world and more sort of collective energy of, of sort of camaraderie within people, whether it's at the concert or sort of sharing that, Hey, we both like this music. Um, and I think that that's important stuff. Yeah. All of, all of which is pretty ironic. I think that we do you, you use the word atomized several times. The self is very much not decentered in the world that we live in. However, we're more connected to each other than we've ever been. Um, yes. and the irony of that is definitely not lost on me. And I do think that there is something about music that relies heavily on technology that taps into that sort of connection, right? Something about that. Yeah. Right. And we always, we always cover that a lot in our music. And yeah. The sort of, whether it be that sort of like faux speech that I gave in in uh, uh, Paralyze, where I talk about how, like, you know, uh, infotoxins being delivered through prosthetic digital nervous system that are sort of paralyzing our ability to think critically. Um, you know, it's like this sort of um, this sort of uh, network that connects all of our brains and our and our central nervous systems. In many ways, is um, it's just like there's so much potential for it in terms of it doing something good. I apologize, I have a gardener coming out of the leaf flower. I'm sure it in the backyard, you don't hear that. Um, also, do we have to do that right now as a man here? Um, <laughs> I think there's a hope for it sort of being something better than what it's being used for. Because right now it's just like being used to sell shit at people um, and collecting data to sort of create this sort of like uh, unbridled age of surveillance capitalism, which surely there's a better use for like you know creating a collective consciousness through a sort of uh you know a, a network of this 
cost the individual nervous system. So, you know, there is a hope there that it might be in the future something bigger or better than, you know, selling you fucking sneakers. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I teach rhetoric at the University of South Carolina. And one of the things that, that I love to sort of contextualize all this with is that Aristotle would fucking shit himself if he saw this thing and knew what we could do with it. And what we do with it is like share pictures of cats with one another and jerk off. Um, yeah, and so, totally, you know, it, it speaks to like sort of where we're at and in our sort of phase of evolution. But I oftentimes I like think of like technology is that sort of like, when we first get something, I have a feeling it takes us a while to kind of figure out how to use it. Yeah. Um, so, you know. And, yeah, it, and it's, awesome. it, the technology, the connection moves so quickly that I think it's going to take us a little while to catch up. But we'll get there, man. Yeah, totally. Because the sort of accelerationist theory is that by the time you figure it out, it's already changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like we're trying to keep up with it. And, you know, as we sort of uh, approach this sort of singularity, who knows what the fuck comes out of that. But I think needless to say, it's not a boring time. Um, no. <laughs> it's just like there's a lot of crazy exciting things going on and we are sort of on the precipice of what feels like an actual futuristic future um you know with some of the shit you keep seeing on a daily basis of like you know hover suits and fucking dudes going to the fucking space and um you know who knows maybe uh oh. Maybe, maybe we'll see a Jetson future before we pass away maybe there will be some element of utopia to that as well dude Thank probably you. not for us, probably for the billionaires, but you know. Yeah, we're, we're going to sit here and, and clap for them while they fucking leave us behind to burn alive. Exactly. Uh, dude, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so very much for giving us some of your time. Uh, big fan of the band. If you're listening right now, definitely check out Paralyzed, the new single. Three Teeth's going to be on the road with Cradle soon. Check that out. Uh, as we approach the end of the show, man, we have a major serious question that we ask everybody who comes on here. I am fucking dying to hear what you have to say about this. Uh, Zach, hit this man with the hammer. My friend, we have to ask you, what is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Hmm. Um, it's like, I feel like it would be a sin to say anything without Ozzy, but it would be sort of really fun. Um, I don't know. That's fucking tough, man. That's really tough. It is. It's a big deal. Yeah. Well, let's uh, make it. We get we get some interesting qu- uh, uh, answers from time to time. We have motherfuckers choose tier. We've had motherfuckers choose like mob rules. I mean, like, so if you want to go outside Ozzy, go for it. If it makes it easier to choose, you can pick the Ozzy records if you want. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like this is going to be one of those things that no matter what I say, it's going to sort of be like uh, something that bites me in the ass when someone hears it and they go, oh, really, dude? That's why it rolls. That's why it's awesome. Yeah. You can't win, but you can't lose at the same time. You're fine. I don't know, man. I really don't know. I feel like you just have to go with like master of reality for the sake of just like sure you know the it's, fucking her- the heritage of it and just like the fucking it's honestly like the one of the best names of a record like, yeah that, like you could possibly think of so i don't know um well, but i actually would, like some like 
I like some like some fucking weird new black Sabbath too, but whatever. Yeah. Dude, we uh, we love we fucking our our white whale for this show is Tony Martin. We're, you'd be surprised how hard it is to get that motherfucker on a podcast. Tony <laughs> Martin is guarded, man. We can't find him anywhere. But like, we are where, huge. Where is he he's in uh, he's in the UK. If you make it over there and you happen to see fucking Tony Martin, hey, ask Danny Filth if he knows Tony Martin. Maybe they're friends. I was going to say, I guarantee fucking Danny Filth. I feel like everyone in the UK metal scene is everyone in the UK metal scene. Well, we... And they're uh, like UK metal royalty at this point. Yeah. And he's up there in that, in that game. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, Master, I think, is a healthy one to go with. Like, that's my that's my option. Like, it's it's it's... It's low-hanging fruit, but it is for a reason, right? It's incredibly influential. Like you said, the heritage of that record is so fucking huge. Um, and it still sounds heavy as shit, you know? Yeah. yeah, and I feel like it's, like, one of those records that, like, pioneered the vibe of what, like, a lot of other records became, too. So, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, just, we're going to have to go with that. That's it. Solid. Fair response, man. Lex, thank you so much for talking to us, dude. We wish you the best. We hope to hear from you again sometime soon. Take care, brother. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Talk soon. Peace out. What a good dude. Yeah, he was great, man. We had some we have some connection issues. I guess that's just the price you pay if you're gonna live out in the fucking desert. Right. Um shitty wi-fi from time to time which i think is interesting being that you know he's the fucking cutting edge of industry uh technology with his band how great would it be if we get connected to tony martin through danny filth through that guy i would want to have all three of them on at the same time i yeah, feel like that would be it would be almost too much to handle this was fucking awesome dude this was one yeah. of my favorite conversations we've had so far yeah this was a great one great vibes man thank you i love you thanks for holding it down as always Thank you, my man. I love you. We will talk soon. Yes, sir. Take care of yourself, baby. Peace out.